Well, it is such a huge honor and a privilege to be here with you this weekend at Lake Point Church. My wife and I are so indebted to you for all that you have invested in South Bay. In fact, back in 2008, when we sensed God leading us to start a church in one of the most unreached areas of North America, Lake Point Church was the very first partnering church to come on board to invest finances and resources in this new start. Uh, when we moved there in August of 08, Lake Point Church was the very first mission team. After our boxes, like they were yet to be unpacked and pictures hadn't been hung on the wall, there was a team from Lake Point on the ground helping us with our first community outreach event. And then in February of 2009, when we had our grand opening, there was a team from Lake Point there serving at our first weekly service. So you guys have been a part of this whole journey. You have invested literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. You've sent dozens of mission teams and thousands of hours of prayer, coaching, and support. We would not be where we are today if it had not been for, for Lake Point Church and all that you have invested in us. Every single one of those 500 lives that have been impacted to come to faith in Jesus have happened because of you and your investment. So I wanna say thank you. And I wanna use this opportunity to honor your lead pastor, Steve Stroop. Uh, Steve coaches and mentors and pours into all of the churches that you help start, especially in the leaders. And uh, he has literally become like a, a spiritual father, a coach, and a mentor that has invested in my life, and I am the man I am today because of your lead pastor, Steve Stroop. And uh, my wife was joking a couple weeks ago. She actually said, you know, we are so indebted to Pastor Steve for all that he's invested in us that if he were to ask us to kill somebody or to give a kidney, we would strongly consider doing that. <laughs> now, I'm just joking about the kidney part. You know, today I want to talk to you about taking responsibility for your life. And there was a story my dad used to tell when I was a small child to help me understand the importance of taking responsibility. And it goes like this. One time there was a man who was stranded in the middle of the ocean. And this guy had gotten caught in a horrible storm. The day before, he had this great big boat, but the storm started to go down. It was capsizing, so he took the life raft and he went into the middle of the ocean. Uh, the next day, he was there hoping to be delivered from his predicament, and so he started praying. In fact, he was a man of prayer. He trusted God, and he was believing God for a miracle. So he started asking God, I I'm asking you, I'm begging of you that you would do something in this situation to deliver me from my circumstance. Send an angel, beam me up, Scotty, like Star Trek, and send me back to the shore. I need you to do something, God. And so he's praying, and just Im almost immediately after that prayer, along comes a boat. And the captain of the ship pulls out a megaphone, looks down at the guy and says, hey, we wanna help you get out of this situation you're in. Come, come on to our boat, we'll take you back to shore, get you back to your family. And the guy looks up at the captain and he says, no, I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for a miracle from God. Well, you can imagine, that's a pretty foolish decision on his part, but the next day came and he's continuing to pray. He continues to ask God, God, I need you to do a miracle on my behalf. Send an angel, send Star Trek ship, do something to get me out of this predicament. Next day, boat comes, exact same scenario. He decides not to take the boat. Third day, he's still out at the ocean and this time another storm has come up. And it's really bad. The winds are blowing and the lightning is striking and this guy is really in for some serious danger. He's about to lose his life. 
And just about that time, a helicopter comes along, and they let down a ladder, and there's another megaphone saying, come on, get on the helicopter, we'll get you out of this storm. And the guy looks up at the helicopter and says, no, I'm trusting God. I'm believing him for a miracle that he would intervene and save me, send an angel. And then all of a sudden, his little raft begins to capsize, and he starts to drown. He's going down, and he's looking up at the sky or up at the top of the water, and he's saying, God, please give me a miracle. Send like an angel from the bottom of the ocean or something. And finally, this guy drowns, and he goes to heaven, and he sits before the throne of God, and he is ready for his interaction with God. He takes out his finger, and he looks right at God, and he says, God, I was believing you. I was praying. I was trusting you, and you did nothing. And here I am, God. I've died, and you let me die. And what's up, God? And God looks right at that man, and he says, you fool. You loser. I sent you two boats and a helicopter, and you did nothing, and here you are, and you've died a premature death because you failed to assume responsibility. Now, chances are very few of us will die a premature death because we fail to assume responsibility, but many of us will ruin areas of our life and then blame God as a result. We'll take out that finger and we'll say, God, look at this marriage. Look at this relationship with my kids. Look at my finances. Where are you in all of this? I love Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. Look at this. It says, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against God. We ruin our lives in areas that go into destruction, and then we want to wave the finger in God's face and say, God, look at what you got me into. And this proverb illustrates a very, very important principle for us, that there are some areas of life that belong to God, some responsibility, and some things only God can do. But there's also this box in life that belongs to us. There are some things that go into the box that we are responsible for. And here's what I see happens for me, and it happens for you, and it happens for so many of us, that oftentimes we give our greatest energy to the things that God is in charge of, and then we find ourselves stressed out and worried and anxious because something that belongs to God we're trying to manage. And then there's that area of life that I'm in charge of, that I'm responsible for, and I can almost relegate or negate my responsibility for the things that God has put me in charge of. And have you ever noticed this? If you've been following Jesus for any time now and you've been going to church, you've you've seen this happen, where people who follow Jesus will use prayer as their excuse. The same way the guy in the story did, I'm waiting for a miracle, I'm waiting for you to change my physical fitness, I'm waiting for you to change My finances, I'm waiting for you to miraculously intervene so students, I can start getting some A's on the test. I'm waiting for you to do something, but all along, that part of life belongs to us. We're responsible. And there's this very, very powerful principle that I want to drill down into in a passage of scripture found in Joshua chapter 7, verses 6 through 15. And the principle we're going to look at tonight is this. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. God answers some prayers while we are on our knees waiting. Again, there are some areas of life that only God can handle. But God answers other prayers while we are on our feet moving. And I think a part of spiritual growth and maturity is learning to discern what are the things that belong to God 
and what are the things that I am responsible before him. And today I want to drill down into the second half of that equation. Because I think that if we can understand and we can clarify what we're responsible for, then we can start making steps and then trust God to do his part. So the passage we're looking at tonight in Joshua chapter 7, verse 6 through 15 will be on the screens. And I want to lay the context of what is happening. See, the nation of Israel has been led out from Egypt by a guy named Moses. You've probably heard of him before. And when Moses would lead the Israelites out of the, out of the Egyptian slavery that they were in, they would wander in the desert for 40 years, just on the other side of the Jordan River, waiting to go into the promised land. Now, in the promised land, there were all of these nations that were considered evil. They worshiped false gods. In fact, many of them had golden images to, to foreign gods, and they worshiped them. Some of these men and women in the foreign nations were so evil that they would actually murder their small children as an act of worship before God. And so Moses, as he's about to die, passes the baton to a younger leader named Joshua, and Joshua steps into leadership for the nation of Israel. So he leads the nation of Israel across the Jordan River and into the promised land, and they're going to go on a conquest to get rid of all these nations that were evil so that there can be worship of the one true God. Well, Joshua, as he's leading in the Israelites, has victory after victory, and things are going really well. And all of a sudden, after there have been multiple victories for the nation of Israel, they hit a wall. And there's this one battle at a town called Ai where they just get their tails kicked. In fact, in this particular instance, the men rush back after the battle in shame because the nation of Israel has been completely destroyed. And so here is Joshua, the leader of the nation of Israel, in the promised land, the land that God has told the Israelites that he was going to give to them. And now he's wondering what has happened. It's like the hand of God was on them, and then the hand of God had been removed from them. And we're going to look into the interaction between God and Joshua when he prays, and the way that many of us pray when we find ourselves in situations that are over our heads. Look at what he says. It says, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The place that symbolized and the place literally that was the presence of God in the small box, Joshua bows down to the ground before it, and then the scripture would say he remains there until evening. The elders of Israel would do the exact same thing and sprinkle dust on their heads. As a sign of mourning before God, they've rendered their garments before him, they've sprinkled their heads, they're, they're asking God, where are you? It seems like you've left us, your hand is gone from us. And then the scripture says, Joshua would speak up, and now he would start praying to God about this problem. Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan River? To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites so that they could destroy us? I mean, God, if you had seen this coming, if you knew that this group of people was going to destroy us, then, then why did you let this happen? And then the scripture says, if only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant Lord, servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. They will surround us and wipe out your name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Have you ever been there before? Where there was an area of your life 
maybe even something that you felt like God had led you to do, and no matter how hard you tried, it just seemed to keep getting worse, or no matter what happened, it was like it was downhill. Maybe a marriage that you were hoping and you were praying and you were asking God to improve. Uh, Maybe it's a situation with a job and you've been without a job for months. Maybe even it seems like years and you've been praying and asking God for a miracle and you're in the same situation. And, And maybe previously his hand was on you and he was moving in your life, but here you are now. And maybe it's a relationship with your children. Maybe and it's, a, it's an addiction to a chemical or an addiction to pornography. And you keep praying and you keep asking God to deliver you from this problem. But it keeps getting worse. And there you are saying, God, see these kids right here? You gave me this, these kids. See this marriage that I'm in? I, I thought that you told me to get into this marriage. See my finances? Didn't you say, God, that you would provide and that you would always be with me? And here I am in this predicament. God, do something about this. Send an angel, miraculously intervene on my behalf so that my life is not ruined. And God looks at Joshua the same way that he would look at us today. And he says something very, very specific. He looks at Joshua and he says, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? This is not a time, Joshua, for you to be down on your knees waiting. Stand up, assume responsibility, and get on the move. This is not a time to be waiting. This is a time to be moving. And then watch what he says. Israel sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. See, this one guy by the name of Achan would go after one of the great victorious battles for the Israelites And he would take some of the gold and silver that was to be destroyed. Much of it had been objects of worship to foreign gods. It was to be destroyed. And this man named Achan would take it and bury it underneath his tent. In his wickedness, almost trying to hide what he had won so that he could be rich and uh, his life could be better, he violated a covenant before God. And then God says, this is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They've taken devoted things, stolen, lied, and put them with their own possessions. They have turned their backs and run away because they have been made liable to destruction. And then God says, listen, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. See, God says, now is the time, Joshua, for you to assume responsibility. Now is the time for you to stand up. Now is the time for you to deal with the problem that the Israelites are in the middle of. It's not a time for you to be on your face or on your knees waiting. It is a time for you to put those work boots on and those gloves on and get to work and be on your feet moving. But the question is, in the 21st century, today, how do we know How do we know when it's a time that we should be on our face waiting, and how do we know when it's a time that we need to be on our feet moving? Uh, I wanna share with you two scenarios in life that we can have confidence it's time to pray on our feet moving. And if you're taking notes, the first of these two scenarios is this. It is time to pray on the move when you are stuck in a situation you have behaved your way into. You can have confidence that when you are stuck in a situation that you have behaved your way into, it is time to pray on the move. Did you know that in the scripture, the word repentance 
literally means to turn and run the opposite direction of the direction that we've been going. That many times we behave our way into problems with disobedience, and the scripture says in order to get out of that problem, we need to turn from the problem and turn back to the direction of God and walk in obedience towards him. The way out of the problems that we behave our way into is not by prayer and waiting, but it's by prayer and moving. It's by standing up and walking the direction of obedience. I have two boys. Cademan, my oldest son, is six and a half years old. Samuel, my youngest son, we call Sammy, is four and a half years old. Uh, Sammy is adopted from Ethiopia. And my little boys, there are a lot of things that are just so incredibly fun about parenting young boys. I love watching my boys climb the tree in our front yard. On Saturdays, we go out for donuts, and I eat apples and uh, bananas while they eat donuts all the time, of course. And we get to enjoy and, and have lots of fun together. But there are some things, parents, you know, that just drive you nuts. In fact, one of those things that drives me nuts is bedtime. In fact, I, I, I think at the end of the day, many times I'm exhausted and my boys are kind of going through everything. You know, they want to brush, you got to brush the teeth, put on pajamas, pray, and then after you put them in their bed, they're back again. And they're like, I've saw enough of your face for one day. Let me sit on the couch and talk to your mother. Well, one of the other things that really is difficult for me as a dad is when I've been out working all day, my wife has been investing in the kids, she's been making dinner. And the kids, they go from mess to mess. You know what I'm talking about. They get the Lincoln Logs out, and they make a huge pile on the floor, and then they're on to the Legos. They get the Legos out, and then when they're done with those, they're on to the board games. They get the board games out. When they're done with that, then they're on to the books. And then there are all these messes in their playroom, and I walk through the front door after working all day, and my wife's been working all day, and the six-and-a-half-year-old and the four-and-a-half-year-old want me to get on the ground and clean up their mess when they go play, for another, play another game. And in the middle of those moments, I'm so, so frustrated. You are six-and-a-half years old and four-and-a-half years old. You can actually clean up your own mess. I heard another pastor, Andy Stanley, whose thoughts have been really helpful for this message, describe that he would, when his kids were about this age, he tried an experiment with them, and he wanted to shame them for not cleaning up their messes. So he would bring them to the mess that they had made, and he would look at them, and he would say, now, I want you to go and call your mother and tell her to come to the mess, and when she gets here, I want you to look at your mother and tell her, I am too lazy, mom, to pick up my mess. I'm irresponsible. I do not assume responsibility for the things that I've messed up. Can you go ahead and pick up my mess? Now, one of the other staff pastors at South Bay did this experiment with his kids, and he has a little daughter, and she actually started crying when he asked her to, clean, to say this to her. Mom, we did this with my six-and-a-half-year-old son, Cademan, and he looks at my wife, Stacy, and says, Mom, can you go ahead and pick up this mess right here? I, I, I know I'm lazy and I don't want to do it, but go ahead and pick it up anyways, <laughs> just like his dad. <laughs> you know, as much as that frustrates me, I think I do the exact same thing with God. Did I make messes in my life and then I expect God to come and clean them up? I think about times in my life when I want to get in better shape physically, but I don't want to stop e eating chocolate chip cookies. You know, there are times in my life when I wanted to be out of debt and I wanted my finances to be in order, but I wasn't ready and willing to create a budget and live by it. 
So many of us have areas of our lives that we behaved our way into and then we're asking God to clean up the mess and God is saying, no, now is the time for you to assume responsibility to start cleaning up the messes that you've made. And I'll help you in the process, but it's time for you to get to work and get on the move and assume responsibility. So let me ask you a very specific question. What one area of your life are you stuck due to your poor choices? What one area of your life today do you find yourself stuck in that you have behaved your way into? And today is the day to accept responsibility. The first point, we can know with confidence that it's time to pray on the move when we have behaved our way into a problem. The second area of life is this, when we find ourselves sitting on a command that God has already given to us. It is time to pray on the move when you are sitting on a command that God has already given to you. You don't have to pray about so many things in life. In fact, there are so many commands specifically in scripture that God gives to us that we don't have to go back to God and ask him, should I do these things? I don't have to go ask God, should I beat my kids or not beat my kids? I don't have to go and ask God, should I gossip about that problem at my place of work or not gossip about that problem? Because scripture is very clear. Scripture is black and white. We don't need to go to God and say, God, should I trust you with my finances and tithe? God, should I get involved in community? God, should I start to serve? You don't have to check with God. If God has already given you a directive or a command, it's time to get moving. It's time to step forward and stand up and be the person that he has created us to be. When you find yourself sitting on a command that God has already given to you, you don't need to ask him if you should do what he's already told you to do. Uh, again, back to my kids. They come up in so many messages, but Cademan, who's six and a half, his motto in life is, life is a competition. Sammy, who's four and a half, his motto in life is, life is a party. All I have to do in order to get Cademan to move is to time what I'm asking him to do. Like I say, Cademan, if you clean up your, the mess in five minutes, then daddy will give you a dollar. He's like on the move, he's doing it. Sammy, we have to make everything a party. So for my personality, that's just a little bit of a rub at times. And again, back to bedtime, that's when it's the biggest rub because Sammy loves to dance around naked after like he's taken his shower and just run through the house, scream as loud as he can and make sure all the neighbors know that he is naked as well. And we're glad that we don't you know, have any peeping toms around our house. But after Sammy does this, he'll then check back in with me and he'll say, Daddy, should I put my pull-up on? Sammy, you don't have to check with Daddy. I told you to get ready for bed. You can go ahead and put your pull-up on. Daddy, should I put my pajamas on? Sammy, I already told you, get ready for bed. Daddy, should I brush my teeth? Yes, I told you, get ready for bed. But again, we do the exact same thing with God, that we're waiting for a miracle in areas that we've destroyed, and then we're asking him, should we do the things that you've already commanded us to do? See, there's this assumption that drives a life that is prone towards obedience and moving in the direction of God's will for our life, and it's this assumption. I want you to write this down. This is so, so important. God has already given you, past tense, everything that you need, the power that you need to live the life that he's asking you to live. God has already given you everything that you need to obey him. Look at this verse in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, by 
his divine power, talking about God. The God who spoke the world into existence. His divine power, the scripture says. God has given, past tense. He's already done it. He has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. We received all of this by coming to know him. If you are a follower of Jesus today, that moment that you placed your faith and your hope in Jesus, God gave you everything that you needed to follow and obey him. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. God has given you everything that you need to obey him. And the same thing that God said to Joshua is the same thing that he's saying to us today. It's time to stand up. It's time, husbands and fathers, to assume responsibility for the spiritual condition of our families, to love and invest in and train our children, the next generation. It's time for those of us who find ourselves in a financial mess, it's time to create a budget and start living by that budget and trusting God with our resources to give back to him as first priority in our lives. It's time for, for those of us who struggle with addictions to begin to walk in the direction of obedience. And the power of God that's available for our lives is just like the two legs that we have. That the power for these legs isn't exercised until you and I stand up and start walking in the direction of our destination. And, and God is saying to us today, stand up, obey me, and as you stand up, that's when the power of God kicks into full force and we can move. We can see him change our marriages. We can see him provide for our families. We can see him begin to heal us from addictions and change from the past. When we will stand up, we will trust him with what is his, but we will assume responsibility for what is ours. So let me ask you, what is the command that God has already given to you? What's the thing that God has already told you to do, but you've yet to obey him? It's time to stand up. It's time for you and I to assume responsibility for our lives at a whole new level. When we find ourselves sitting on a command that God's already given to us, it is time to pray on the move. Now let me say this. I want you to hear what I am not saying through this message. I am not saying that we can behave our way into salvation. In fact, the Bible is very clear in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through nine, that it is by grace you are saved through faith, not by works. And if you're here today and you've never experienced the grace of God, today you can have a relationship with him, not based upon religion or your good deeds, but based upon the life of Jesus, his crucifixion and resurrection that he offers relationship with himself by faith through what he's done. I think the other thing I want you to hear is, I'm not saying we don't need God's help, because sometimes in life, the situations that we are in are beyond our control, and there are areas of life that only God can handle. God is the only one that can change a human heart. And there are some doors that only God can open. And I'm not saying that we don't need God's help. Every transformation, every situation, every circumstance in my life and your life, we need God's intervention, but there are some that we need to stand up versus waiting on our face before him. And the last thing is, I'm not saying it's pray or assume responsibility. I'm saying that it's both and. It's pray and assume responsibility. 
Sometimes we pray on our face waiting and on our knees before God, but other times we need to stand up and trust God to do his part while we obey and do our part. And I think that that's where the greatest transformation and the greatest fruitfulness happens in our lives. I remember shortly after we had moved to the Bay Area, we were looking for a facility in which we could meet as a church. And we were trusting God and we were praying and we were believing for a miracle. And there was a school right at the middle of the community that we were in. And we were wondering, you know, can we really meet in a public school in California? And I got on the phone with Pastor Steve and I was talking to him about this and I said, you know, Steve, they don't let churches meet in schools in California. This is never gonna happen. I mean, you know this is California. People are very resistant to the message of Jesus and Steve and his wise, kind of you know, purposeful voice would say, Andy, have you asked him if you could meet there? Oh, that's a great idea. I should ask him if we can meet there. And so then we went on this journey and we took our staff and we would pray and we were, we were actually praying, walking around the neighborhood that the school was in, hoping that they wouldn't see us and think that we were weirdos. And, and we did a fast and we set an appointment where we would go in and we would talk to the principal and ask him if we could meet in his school. I walked in and this story illustrates the combination of our part and God's part. I sat down at the principal's office in, at his desk and I looked at him. And I said, I know that you, you guys, this is California, you probably don't let churches meet in your schools, but would you be willing to let us meet in your school? Hey, let's do it once a month, and if it works out and you like us, then we'll continue to meet here. And that principal looked right at me, and he goes, let's go check the calendar. And if the calendar's free, you guys can meet here in the school. And for the next three and a half years, we met in a public school in one of the most unreached areas of North America, and literally thousands of lives were changed as a result of it. And there, therein lies the combination. Only God could open that principal's heart, but we had to do our part. We had to have the conversation. We had to make the ask, and then God did what only God can do. And I, I think that there is this, this sense in which there's no limit to what God can do in our lives. In fact, I believe that God is a powerful and mighty God and wanting to work on all of our behalfs. And if we will say, God, I know there are some things that only you can do, but I am going to assume responsibility for the things that you've put me in charge of. There's no limit. God can heal a marriage. God can help that, that son or daughter that you have been praying for for years and believing that he would transform their heart and they would come to faith in Jesus. God can do that, but we gotta do our part. We gotta be available to God to have that conversation. That addiction that you've been holding on to and the chains that have been pulling you back, God can deliver you from that, but you've gotta stand up and say, I'm gonna get some software in my computer. I'm gonna find an accountability partner and I'm gonna trust God to do what only God can do while I walk in obedience. God can do great things through the life that is fully surrendered to him that will trust him to do his part but accept responsibility for our part. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're so grateful today. You're a faithful God and there's no limit to what you can do through our lives. I thank you for this incredible church and what you have done through Lake Point the dozens of churches that you've helped use them to start, the impact that this church has 
on its community. And I thank you for South Bay and what you're doing there and the connection between our two churches and the relationship that we share with one another, the camaraderie that we have to see your kingdom advance here on earth. I'm so grateful for what this church has invested in us. And I pray for every person listening, joining us online, and a part of this message today, God, that you would take these truths and you would seal them in our hearts, that we would assume responsibility, that we would pick that one area of our lives where we're stuck and we'd find that area of our lives where we're sitting on a command that you've given to us and we would move forward in obedience, knowing that there is no limit to what you can do through a life that is fully yielded to you and your power, but willing to step up to obey and take action on the things that you've called us to. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.